You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning. My name is Douglas Earl Fuller. Okay. Just wanted to introduce myself to you. Most of, most of the time, you can just call me Doug. You don't need to call me Douglas. I'm one of the deacons here. I can't speak for, for you this morning, but some of my past week, I had a little bit of anxiousness, you know, for a variety of reasons, okay? And, I, and when those happen, when that time happens, I tend to make the source of my anxiety too big for God. Now, I know that nobody in this room can relate to that, okay? Whether it was Thanksgiving and what was going to happen there, or you're sitting there last night thinking, oh, crap, one more day and I go back to work, or go back to school, whatever the case may be. And we often make then the events of that week at times too big for God. You know, the neat thing about it is we sang a song about our identity in Christ, this last song, by grace and grace alone. And we can take advantage of that grace this morning, and we can come with those things that cause us anxiety, and we can bring them to a loving dad this morning as a congregation. And I have the privilege of leading us in that prayer this morning. But it's our prayer. Because each of us have something that's going to cause us anxiety today or tomorrow. And God says, bring that to me. I'm a good, good father. So as I pray, I'd like you to bring whatever it is that's causing you anxiety to God this morning and say, Dad, I want you to have it. I want you to care for me. So I'm going to cast this care on you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we approach you in reverent awe because we know that you are holy, that you are awesome in power and in might, and that you are the creator and sustainer of life and that you are the provider of our needs. We come to you through Jesus and in his name and what he has done, and not because we have earned the right to approach you. For he took our sins, past, present, and future, upon himself, taking the punishment we so justly deserved when he died on the cross. And God, just like you raised him from the dead to life, you have given us new life and adopted us as your children. Father, you've commanded us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything make our requests known to you. Dad, we confess right now that many times this week we've sinned and grieved you because in our anxiety, you were not the first one we looked to for help. We approach the myriad of other gods for a solution, forgetting that there is nothing too big and nothing too small to bring to you. 
for you are thrilled when we come to you in prayer. Father, we repent of that adultery and gratefully acknowledge and receive your forgiveness. For you have said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love. So, Father, this morning we come to you full of thanksgiving. A thanksgiving based upon you and upon who you are, the one God of love, mercy, grace, and power. Thank you for your everlasting love and faithfulness to us, which you have proven time and time again. Also, Dad, you know our circumstances. You know our frailties and our weaknesses. You know our propensity to be anxious and therefore beckon us to bring our cares to you. Thank you for being a loving and good father. We come to you this morning. You know each of our, each person and family's needs. You know the daily bread that we require to glorify you and to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives. Father, there, is th there are those here this morning who need healing. That healing may be physical, emotional, or relational. Father, breathe into them health, making them whole. Others need financial support, so provide for them from your bounty. Some are lonely, Dad. Provide for them relationships. Provide for them and us your strength and love to risk the vulnerability necessary to establish new friendships and to love others as ourselves. Also, Dad, you know there are some of us where the holidays are not the most wonderful time of the year. There are just too many painful memories, and the joy and joy to the world seems like taunting because they can't relate. Father, provide for them in patience, loving kindness, the assurance of the reality of you, of Jesus, of your gospel, of your work that has made them an accepted member of your family. May that reality overshadow, overshadow everything else, not only in their lives, but in our lives too, so that you are visible in our faith, in our hope, in our comfort, in our joy, a visibility that the world desperately needs. Father, thank you that you are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, that you will be glorified in Red Sea and in the rest of your church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Doug. Good morning. My name is Royce. I'm one of the elders here at Red Sea, and I have the privilege today of of uh, sharing uh, the word um, with you. Like we always get a privilege. Josh and I tag team with that. And uh, we are going through a series now we're calling We Are the Church. Uh, we wanna, I want to clarify, it occurred to me this week, we are the church. We're not the one only true church. We're church, okay? Uh, we just want, we're not claim, claiming anything exclusive. Uh, quite the opposite, as we'll see today. But we're going through this series for a couple reasons. The main one is that we want to make sure, as we head into our 15th year 
uh, at Red Sea, sort of that adolescence age of a church, uh, we want to make sure that we are all on the same page. What I mean by that is not just leaders, but but uh, home community leaders and deacons, but also those of you who participate and engaged in the life and ministries of Red Sea. We want to we go back, step back, and just talk about some basic things like, why do we even exist as a church? It might sound like, well, you're a church. That's what religious people do. They go to church. That's what Christians do. Well, why? Um, we want to know what we do and why do we do it. Why do we gather on this day? Why do we sing the songs we do? Why do we have a sermon? Why do we open the scripture? Why do we do all those things? And, and, and why don't we do other things that other churches do? And what are the expectations, both for us as leaders, but also for you who are here? Are there expectations? Now, let me let you in on a little hint. There are, by the way. And what are those expectations? So as we move forward in the life of Red Sea, we want to make sure that we're clear with those things. And this, it's a series, and then we didn't emphasize that as much, I think, as probably should have last week. Um, we're, going to, we're going to go through a series of things, and there's a progression, there's an order to it. So don't, don't panic yet. Wait till we get to the end, then you're allowed to panic, okay? And what I mean by that, last week Josh started with a definition of what is the church. And you might say, well, that's kind of an odd thing to do. But we do that because we want to go, what is the scripture? God designed the church. What does he say it is and its purpose? And then today we're going to talk about our relationship with other churches. And then in the following weeks we're going to talk about our mission, our purpose. What has God called the church, all churches, anywhere to do? And how do we particularly at Red Sea do those things? Then we're going to talk about being elder-led, congregationally affirmed. That's our polity. That's our church government. We are elder-led. And many of you know that. I introduced myself as an elder. Didn't introduce myself as a pastor. There's a reason we don't use certain words. And we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to take a small break, two weeks for Christmas. Okay? The 18th and the 25th. Christmas is on a Sunday. I'll anticipate questions. Yes, we're meeting on Sunday. Uh, December 25th. We're having a gathering. It'll be a short, more like a family gathering, a little more informal, but it definitely will be celebrating the birth of Christ. Then we're going to pick this back up, and we're going to go through different parts. What do we do, and why do we do it, and what are our expectations for our gathering, what we do here on Sunday, home communities. What, what do we do in home communities, and what do we do engaging our local community? And yes, we're eventually going to talk about the M word, membership. Okay, we, we got a little feedback. People got a little nervous last week when we mentioned the M word. And, uh, and some of the home communities I heard had some good conversations about it. Let me just encourage you right here and now, don't worry about membership until we actually talk about it. Okay? Uh, the reason we talk about that last is because you need to know what you're going to be a member of. That's what the rest of this lays out. So don't stress about it. Whatever your view is or if you're excited about it, that's great. Let us get there. And then we're going to talk about it. And that's where we're going with, with all these kind of things. Um, and also, if you have questions as we go through that, we're trying to anticipate questions. But if you have questions, you can talk to Josh or I after the service. You can uh, email us. Our contact information is on the, uh, on the webpage. Or just, if, if in doubt, info at redseachurch.org. You got a question. You got a comment. Uh, just want to push back. We do want to hear from you in those things. And today is going to be a little, I'm a little uncomfortable with today, not because of the content, 
but because it's, it's, it's going to be a very topical sermon. I'm more comfortable preaching expositionally, as you should know, and that is looking at a main passage of Scripture and unpacking it and digging into it. But today, as I thought about how to do what I wanted to do today, there wasn't just one that did that. So therefore, I'm going to go just get through a large amount of content topically, and we're going to do that. But before we do that, there is a passage that has caught my attention, and actually, as I was reading it in my as I was reading through the Bible, I was going in the mornings, I was reading through 1 Corinthians, and this verse caught my attention as I started processing of this message. So I want to read it for us today. So will you stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And though this is uh, addressed to the church in Corinth, um, it is also addressed to us today, being part of God's Word. So... Here's the word of the Lord for us today. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that your grace and peace would be on us. Lord, that as we celebrate what we are in Christ, that we are already sanctified and called to be saints in this world, that we would do so with other saints that you have put in this world, that we are a church doing the mission of God, doing the work of God alongside brothers and sisters in St. John's and Portland and Oregon, Washington, America and the world. And let us have that vision for this church, though a local church, also a global church and a, a church in the church community. So we just pray that you would help us understand that as we speak through a lot of these things, whether there are surprises or just things that are not new at all. I pray, though, that each one that you would just impress upon our hearts how important they are for us as a local congregation. We thank you in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Today I want to address an important aspect. As we mapped out this series, we talked about what, it, what is a church. We didn't want to just leave that behind and assume. So Josh dealt with that last week. But the second thing is we talked about this is we want to know that we're a church, but we're not a church alone. We're a church that, has, that, that it's important for us as a local church, an expression of the church here in St. John's and drawing from Portland and North Portland and even Vancouver, that we, are work, that we build relationships with other churches and we work together with other them to achieve what God has called us to, all of us, what he's called all of us to do. We all have the same mission and we can work together. No single church by themselves can do the work Uh, that God wants them to do. We need each other. Just like in the church body, we need each other. Just like in a family, a biological family, you need each other. We as churches are part of the greater covenant community of churches, and we need each other too. It is neither biblical nor is it wise for us as a church to function alone, for us to be in isolation from other churches, and we don't want to do that. We've never been a church that has wanted to do that. But it's important that we and you understand why that is. So today I'm going to go through six reasons, six reasons why, as a local church, Red Sea, we should be partnering with other local churches. In some cases we do already, but we always want to look for more opportunities of partnership. So six reasons. 
And, if, and, and so as I go through these, they're categorized, and I'm going to talk through different things. Some of them probably you're going to like, well, that's obvious. And some of them might catch you a little off guard. We'll see. The first one is that we are, uh, we are the church, um, and we partner together with other churches because we're committed to being biblical. We just start there. We need to start with just being biblical from the Scripture, from the Bible. Everything we want to discuss, we want to say, first, what does the Bible say? That's what Josh said last week. Look into the Scripture. What is, how does God define church? We want to do the same thing as the interaction. The Scripture is our source of understanding. The Scripture is our authority in how we do church and how we, everything for, pertaining to faith and practice. There's a phrase we use, is that, is that theology drives methodology. Theology, what we believe, drives how we do the things we do. And that's true, especially in a church. In this passage in 1 Corinthians 2, just look at the verse 2 in 1 Corinthians. It says up there, he says to the church in Corinth, and so Paul is addressing a local church, just as Josh talked about there. There was a, as a city of Corinth, and at the time there was only one uh, identified church, though they may have met in multiple different locations, homes probably. Uh, there was, they viewed themselves as one church, so a local church, just like Red Sea is. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So Paul's right out to shoot saying, through the gospel, God has done a work in these people, and it's dramatically changed their lives. They're sanctified. They're made holy because of Christ. And God has also called them. He's wooing them. He's given them something to do to live out their new identity as saints. As saints. A common word in the New Testament for believers. More common in, in the Paul's letters is saints than it is is disciples or believers. He talks about us being saints. We are called out ones. We are holy. That's who we are already because of the work of Christ. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But notice the second half of this verse. The second half of this verse is one of those things we often read over. And I, when I first read through this a couple weeks ago, I, I actually had to take a double take to realize I glanced over this without really absorbing the impact. Look at the second half of that verse. He says, Together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He's just not being polite here. Paul is writing to a specific church in a specific location but he wants them right out to shoot. He wants them to have the perspective that what God is doing in them and through them, which he's about to spend a whole, lot of, a whole book talk, talking to him about, God is also doing those same things in other believers, in other saints, in other churches, in other cities. It's not unique just to them. And it's, it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of obvious, but it's important that we, again, understand and appreciate all that God's doing in and through a lot of people. These, and though there are many different people in many different churches in different locations, he wants them to know that they're called to be saints. They ha people have the same basic confession who name the name of Christ, that Christ Jesus is our Savior and he's our Lord. And with that, we move forward. And our relationships with these other churches, this verse shows, isn't just a man-made agreement. It's a spiritual bond. It's important that we know that. This is a work of God. The reason that other churches in St. John's and, and Portland and around the world, wherever it is, that true churches who are gospel-believing churches, they are, we are bonded to together them, even if we've never heard of them, through the spiritual bond of what God has done. And what God's doing in us, he's doing in others. And therefore, we can join them in that. And that's what he wants us to do through work and through submission. 
Another passage that kind of highlights this, and I just, it says we're biblical, and I, I could have picked from a number one. I had a list of them. I just chose three. So the first one, the first Corinthians passage is it. But if we look to Colossians 4, 15, uh, 15 and 16, Paul says this in Colossians 4. He says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and, and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and see also that you read the letter from Laodicea. Now, again, it's a greeting, and it's quickly we pass over it. Okay, they're supposed to exchange letters. But let's, let's stop for a minute to understand what Paul's saying to them, to the church. The Colossae, a city, Colossae, and Laodicea were two cities about five to six miles apart in, in, uh, on a river, uh, on the same side of a river, and it's what we now know as northern Turkey. So they weren't that far apart, but still five or six miles, it takes a while to get there. They were separate churches, and, and they gathered separately, and they worshiped separately in many respects. But Paul seems to indicate that even though they were two local church, he see, and they're separate cities, he seemed to indicate, by the way he says this, is he assumed that they had a relationship with each other, that they were communicating with each other. They had bonds together and relationships, because he says, greet them. Remember that? There's, there's aspects of this, of, of greeting them. Now, we, we, um, um, the, the relationships he expects to have, so he wouldn't tell them to greet them if they didn't have basic relationships. The other thing is, he expected them to exchange, encourage each other with their uh, respective letters. Now, we have the letter to Classe. That's the book of Colossians. We do not have the letter from Laodicea. We, we just never got a copy of that. So, but they apparently, Paul wrote to them, and not only were they to read these letters publicly and study them together, but they were supposed to swap letters. They may have been similar, they may have different. He did it with the Ephesians, he did it with the Thessalonians, he did it with the Galatians, he did it with a lot of people. We knew it. So the, the second part of this, understanding this is, even though that they were, had not only had regular personal communication, that he expected these two separate churches to mutually educate and mutually encourage and mutually teach each other from his teachings. Again, it seems like a little thing, but it's an expectation that Paul had for these two churches in these two different cities. Mutual instruction and mutual encouragement. So also a third passage, and we're just going to look at just an assumption, is in Acts 11. In Acts 11, uh, Paul says, uh, Luke says this. Paul didn't say it. Luke said this. He says, he says uh, Acts 11, 20, 27 through 30, he says, Now in these days the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named was Agabus, who stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine in all the world. This took place in the time of Claudius. He gives a little historical marker to validate that it really did happen. The prophecy came true. Luke did. So that the, verse 29, so that the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it, by the el- sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So there is a prophetic word that there's going to be a hardship. And, and the church in Antioch, the first Gentile purely, not purely, but mostly Gentile church in Antioch, I mean, yeah, in Antioch, said, you know what, we're going to send help to the churches back in Judea because they're going to be the hardest hit. And we know from a number of letters that, that not only did this church in Antioch do that, but churches throughout Greece, what we know is Greece and Asia Minor, took collections and they sent them back to Jerusalem. And it's part of the story of Paul through his letters, he unpacks that. Here's the simple point. It's an obvious point. Many local churches in many de- geographic locations, spread out in a lot of different places, helped out other local churches who were in need. 
They just didn't say, oh, well, it sucks to be in Judea. Oh, nope. They said, hey, they got a problem. We have a famine. They have a harder famine. We're going to take from what we have. That's why he said they took from each that he could, and he gave it to them. Churches help other churches. We are the church, we are the church and we partner with other churches because we're being biblical. I could go on numerous, I'm not going to, I'm going to go on numerous passages that show that churches work, should, and do work together in the New Testament. But I also want to say that we are the church and we partner with other churches because we are committed to being not only biblical, but being evangelical. Evangelical. A uh, little, little ears perk here. Uh, that for some people, especially in a political year, evangelical sometimes is not a, a good word, at least if I heard it. Unfortunately, due to the confusion over the term by pollsters and political pundits, the term evangelical is misunderstood. It's not a political term. It's not a category just for this kind of Christian. It means something specific. The term evangelical comes from the Greek word you, you ain't I even practiced it. Euangelion. Euangelion. Trust me, it's something like that, okay? It's a Greek word. We translate it evangelical, okay? The meaning is simply it's the evangel. It's the good news. It's the gospel. That's what it means. And the emphasis of being evangelical is that you preach the gospel message that Christ died for our sins. There are churches who call themselves churches and Christians who do not emphasize that. We would not call them evangelical churches. We are that. The emphasis of being an evangelical is that it's gospel-centered, and the emphasis is always focused on the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. These churches tend to emphasize the sufficiency and authority of Scripture. They tend to emphasize the message that our sin separates us from God and that Christ's death is the only thing and resurrection is the only thing that can remove that and get us right with God, and that Jesus is the only way to get right with God. That's what an evangelical church is. In other words, we're going to use the word gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. We are evangelical and that we're gospel-centered. There's a passage that I frequently pray for Red Sea, pray for actually Josh and I and the leaders of Red Sea, and it's part of our heart as we are leaders here. And it's out of Second, First Corinthians chapter 2, just a little past the earlier passage, and it's not going to be up on your screen. I'm just going to read it to you. And he says, and I, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. Listen to this. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but at the demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That's my prayer for us at Red Sea. Uh, Josh and I are probably, and others who preach and share, are probably not going to be known for their uh, plausible words of wisdom or their lofty speech. I take comfort in that, by the way, okay? The pressure's off. Because I want people to come to Red Sea, we want people to come to Red Sea and meet Jesus and hear the gospel and say, surely God is in this place. And when they walk away, it's not going to be, well, I like the message Royce or Josh or whoever said. They're like, you know what? Jesus is great. And that's what it means to be gospel-centered. That's what we want here. And that when people change lives, it's because it's the power of God, not the wisdom of men. 
At the end of the same book, 1 Corinthians, Paul, wrapping up some of the things he wants to sort of close out some of the things he wants to make sure, he says, For I delivered over to you what is of first importance, that Christ, that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, was buried and raised again in accordance with the Scripture. That's of first importance. The epicenter of the gospel is the cross, that Christ died for our sins. Not only our sins in this room, but all the other churches have filled sinners who Christ died for. And we need to recognize that. That's why most, when we preach expositionally, we always want to come back and lead to the gospel. Now, at Red Sea, this gospel-centeredness is more than just a tagline. It's more than something that we've added or we try, to, we try to do. We've actually used the gospel to mold what we do. It helps guide our messages. It helps us guide our ministries. It helps guide our, our methods of what we do. Uh, for example, as some of you, as we work through his leadership, we've gone through what we know as the four gospel questions. The four gospel questions. Should I give a quiz? Who is God? What has he done? Who are we? What are we to do? The questions are in a specific order. Who is God? We start with God. What has he done? That's the gospel. What has he done through Christ? Who are we? It changes our identity. Therefore, what are we to do? And we use those questions and the gospel frameworks that they provide in deciding a lot of things we do. Even what we do in the worship on Sunday morning is guided in part, not in total, through those gospel questions. And then we have things like, we have things like um, the pathways. Can you put pathways up there? The pathways, if you notice in there, it's, it's the gospel is in the center. The gospel is always at the center. And then from there, it goes out to the black. You can't read it where the black circle is our identities. It changes who we are. The first center, who is God? What has he done? The black circle is our identities. Who are we? And therefore, what are we to do to draw to Christ, developing community, and deploying the culture? My point of saying all this pathways, it's just not just a clever graphic. It was just not need to be different. We said, what does it mean for us as church to be gospel-centered, have our identities changed, and do the work that God has called us to do? This is how we express it. It's not the only way to express it. I work with a lot of churches, and they have similar things, and they're not surprised by the message. They might be, love God, love each other, love the world. Hey, guess what? Draw to Christ, developing community, deploying the culture. It's not the wording. It's the fact that God's called us to do those things. But the gospel is center. It changes our identities. And then we go on to this. This is also why we, at the end of every message, we end up pointing to communion. We want to bring the gospel to our messages, but we also very visibly want to go from the word of God pointing to the, to, to the cross and Christ's um, death and resurrection on our behalf. Is because the gospel is so important to us. And, and when it comes to other churches, we seek out other like-minded, evangelical, gospel-centered churches to partner with and to do work with when we can and to learn from. And so Josh and I particularly have, have rub elbows with different pastors and different teachers, different organizations. They have a, the, there are people a whole lot smarter than we are, a whole lot more experienced than we are. And we want to learn from them and their gospel-centered churches. We learn from the Gospel Coalition, for example, or Together for the Gospel, or Nine Marks Ministries. These are uh, church organizations that exist to help churches be gospel-centered. And we leverage a lot of their material. We are the church, and we partner with other churches because we are committed to being biblical, and we're committed to being evangelical. We need to keep going. We also are the church, we partner with other churches because we're committed to being confessional. This one's probably going to be a little new for some of you. And that's okay. We, 
we are part of a theological heritage. What do I mean by that? There, we didn't just pop up and invent church. We didn't invent what we do. We, have, we draw from actually hundreds of years of the theology and gospel preaching and church history, and it helps us. And we want, as a local church, to have a continuity and a unity with that heritage. Just like the family, you didn't just suddenly appear out of nowhere, okay? You, you have parents and grandparents and grandparents. You might not know them all, but some of you do. And that brings meaning to who you are and what you do and your identity. We're saying as a church, that heritage brings us meaning. And, um, and so we want to leverage that. We want to, as church leaders and other theologians, we want them to have, what have they already explained? What have they already helped us figure out? Let's leverage what they're doing. Uh, when it comes to theology, when it comes to doing church, originality and uniqueness are not a good thing. Okay? I, hear what I'm saying. We often want something different, something spunky, something uh, uh, flash and dash, whatever it is you want. But when it comes to doing church, uniqueness is not a good thing. You know what to you know call a church that does, believes things that nobody else does or does, does things that nobody else does? What do you call them? Cults. That's right. They're cults. There's a reason they're called cults. We're not a cult. We have a heritage. And that heritage is actually, this is where, I'm glad you're sitting down. This is, some of you are going to have a little hard time with this. We have a Baptist heritage. I know. I know. Sorry. That's not even the worst part of it yet. It's, I still have to come. We, we actually are Baptists. Okay? Yeah, I know some of you go, wait a second. That's not on the sign. Our, our heritage, yes, we can go all the way back to 2,000 years ago to Jesus and the Bible. Okay, yes. But the distinctiveness that I'm, I'm emphasizing, we would go back to the Reformation and our faith and practice during the 15 and 1600s. And in there, really basic, the Roman Catholics and the Protestants, the Protestants, Pro- Protestants broke off. They separated for, ba- for various reasons. We're not going to rehash that, Okay. Okay, we're not going to rehash that. But of those Protestants, the Protestants, there's even them couldn't agree. So they started breaking off from each other. And they started writing down what they believed and how they did church and what, how they did services. And the basic things like the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the Congregationalists and the Baptists. So we draw from them and we align ourselves with the Baptist stream. The Baptist her- historical heritage in church history. Now there, we go all the way back to 1689. There was a confession of faith called the London Confession of Faith in 1689, believe it or not. You thought we were just 15 years old. Oh no, we go way back. Okay, we need more candles next time on the cake, Josh. So the, 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 different, groups, uh, the different groups broke up, and, we have, and, and when it comes to theology and church practices and church history, in the London Confession of Faith of 1689, now the real, real, during this time, because of persecution and because of things, there was the Westminster Confession of Faith in 1647. It's important that you all remember these dates for membership, okay? <laughs> and and that lays out a theology and, and understanding of the church. But then it was modified by another group of people called the Savoy Declaration in 1658. And then it was modified again by the London Confession of Faith in 1689. That's us. So we piggyback on the work of a lot of other people. We didn't, they just, just make it up. They developed it out of them. Now, the two important, the only reason I bring this up is, where do we get the word Baptist? Okay? 
Don't, don't think legalistic, Bible-thumping, whatever it is you think, okay? It actually has a heritage. And it says up there in there, credo-baptist. When we use the word Baptist, we mean credo-baptist. What is that? That means a believer's baptism. That's what it means. During this time, there was a division um, among people between the Westminster Confession and the Savoy Declaration and then the London Confession, the Baptists stepped in and say, theologically, about the gospel, we agree with you guys and all this stuff. But when it comes to baptism, we don't. We don't baptize children. And that's what a pedo-baptist is, the infant baptism. This was a clean distinction. So that's what we mean by Baptist. We baptize, you have to have a, a reputable confession of faith. Now, Presbyterians, which do infant baptism, they also believe in believer's baptism, but they also see if you're true Christian parents and you have a child, you should baptize that child and put it as part of the covenant community, include it in the covenant community. We say no, uh, that people become part of the covenant community when they confess Christ as Savior and Lord. Big difference. That's why we, though we agree with the Presbyterians and Methodists, and, and not so much Methodists, but others, a, a lot in theology, these are some practices that we don't, we don't agree with them on. The other thing is, it says in their congregational church government, unlike other, the, the um, Presbyterians and the Congregationalists, I know this is more you want to know, but it's important. They, we believe every, when we mean congregational, we mean that every local church is autonomous. We govern. We decide ourselves what we do and don't do. Okay? Some other committee in a different city does not make those decisions for us. I've talked to pastors who are planting churches in other denominations whose what they do on Sunday is determined by people who not only don't even attend that church, they live in a different city. Okay? We would not agree with that. We govern ourselves. We'll talk a little bit more about our relationship with that. Presbyterians would disagree with that, and others would disagree with that. So therefore, we call ourselves, uh, we are in the uh, um, credo-baptist. Um, and the congregational government is that we're self-governing, okay? It doesn't mean that 51% agree, it has to, everything is voted by 51%. It means that we're autonomous. The other thing that we want to do, and this is where it gets a little more sticky for some of you, is we're not only are we Baptists, but we're conservative Baptists, okay? Yep, conservative Baptists, Okay. Uh, we, are, we are part of an association, not a denomination, an association, and there is a difference, an association of churches called uh, Northwest Conservative Baptist Association. CB Northwest is the way we refer to it. CB Northwest. Uh, and uh, it's, in, and um, it's an association, and each church in that association is autonomous. Each church decides what they do and how they do the different things they do. But we, we voluntarily have a relationship together. And it's called conservative Baptist because ba- it doesn't mean just politically uh, conservative. It means back in the, in the turn of the century, not turn of the century, in the middle of last century, when people were denying the scriptures and the miracles and the gospel and the penal substitutionary of Christ, they said, no, 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 we need to conserve the Baptist fundamentals. We need to protect those. We can't let go of what the scripture teach, thus the word conservative. It doesn't mean illegalistic, or it's not part of the, uh, being a political ideology. It's, it's a theology that we believe in the gospel, and that each church decides how they live according to that. That's basically what we mean, and we do believe it's baptism. Now, they have a document 
uh, CB Northwest. I'm not going to read this to you. It's only 11 pages, but it'll lead us to you. Uh, there's uh, some copies out in the Connect booth. If you want to know a little bit more about CB Northwest, this is the identity doc. They call it an identity document. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is how we do what we do. This is what it means for you as a church to be a part of this. If you agree with this, you can be a part of us. We agree with this, so we're a part of them. And there's copies of this in the Connect booth. And the key part there is, is part, for example, is, is in the doctrine. We're going to adopt their, their confession of faith, their statement of faith, as our statement of faith. And why do we do this? One, because it brings us unity with other churches. We believe what they believe. We do not need to reinvent a statement of faith. As I tell guys that I train, when they have to write their statement of faith, if you, again, if you're coming up with original things nobody ever thought of, that's not good, okay? We don't want to be that. Why? We're going to leverage them work. The other reason that we want to identify with the CB Northwest and the Statement of Faith is for our safety as a church. For our safety as a church. What do I mean by that? Gospel-believing and gospel-preaching churches are going to be more and more counterculture. More and more, we're going to stand up and say, the Bible says this about marriage. God gets to define marriage, not the culture. And those who think a lot about this and have their pulse on the culture, uh, that's going to be probably in the near future prohibited by law for us to say that. It is already illegal in Canada to say those things. You can go to jail. A preacher can go to jail for saying those things. And people anticipate that's going to happen in America. Inconceivable? I don't think so. Well, here's the point. When if somebody comes knocking on our door and we refuse to marry somebody for a biblical reason and they sue us, us as a church, we're going to be in, we're in association with other hundreds of other churches who believe the same thing. So now they're fighting not just one little local church, they're fighting hundreds of churches together. And it's what we believe, we identify. That's why that heritage is so important. That's just a simple example. So we are a church and we partner with other churches because we are committed to being biblical, to being evangelical, and to being confessional. Being confessional. We need to move on. We're also, we are a church and we partner with other churches because we are committed to being relational. And this is back to CB Northwest as one example of that. It's, a, it's an association. That means we all agree to work together, but, no, but no, there's no home office that has the power to tell anybody else what to do. Okay? We agree to covenant relationship to work together in church planting and building and education and training. There's over 250 churches in, uh, in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Alaska. And uh, that's part of CB America, self-explanatory, which is part of CB Global, again, self-explanatory. Okay? But we're one region that we're a part of that. We are part of CB Northwest. And I want to read just for understanding just the, the weight of this. In the CB Northwest identity document, it says what that covenant is. And I want us to read through that um, in, right here, right now. <laughs> The covenant, this is what, the, what it means to be part of CB Northwest. The covenant of the... See, I'll read from the clear screen. The, co, the covenant of the churches of CB Northwest, the association of churches known as CB Northwest, as a part of the body of Christ, acknowledges our God-ordained covenantal relationships as a fellowship of conservative Baptist churches. Holding in common our doctrine, our polity, our philosophy of ministry. We polity, by the way, is how you govern, make decisions. It's not a common word, but that's what it means. Uh, when we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. 
Uh, we agree to the relationship expressed in dependence upon, responsibility for, and accountability to each other by God's grace. CB Northwest also seeks covenant community with other regional CB communities throughout North America and around the world. Then also we have the vision. What, what is it that CB is trying to do? Why do they say it's important that we work together with 250 other churches? This is their vision. We envision a covenant community of churches committed to the glory of God, centered on the gospel, changing our communities by being doctrinally sound, missionally driven, and culturally sensitive, which includes culturally appropriate evangelism, leaders mentoring next generation leaders, and churches planting churches through great commandment love, great commitment person great commission purpose, and great confession dependency. That's the vision of why we do this. We already have been a part of, since our beginning of Red Sea, we have been a part of CB Northwest, though it's never been really highlighted uh, a lot. We go to men's, like men's roundup, uh, men's equipping retreat, women's camp, Sons of Thunder, which is a camp for fathers and sons in the summer. We take advantage of some of their stuff. As some of you know, I'm actually on staff at CB Northwest. I'm a director. Uh, um, I, as I, I work serving churches, and I have one basic job. I help them raise up elders and pastors. That's what I serve. I serve church. I'm a director. I have no authority to tell any church what to do. I have no authority. I can only serve them. We're, not, we're an association of independent churches. We're not a denomination. Josh is a trustee of CB Northwest. What does that mean? Well, to have a legal 501c3, you have to have trustees. He's part of what functions as an elder board of the, all the 250 churches. They send representatives to regions, and they function as a plurality of elders to make decisions for CB Northwest and to guide them. And he is a, a presently a trustee in that uh, through a region called the Willamette West. He functions in that capacity as an elder. He's, his job is also to shepherd the shepherds. So when in his region, Willamette West, and West Portland, um, he is to contact those uh, pastors and elders and make sure they're okay. And can we pray for you? We pray for them. He also connects the churches. Another way that we're relational, not just through CB Northwest, at Red Sea, we have committed to helping plant churches. We have done that twice so far. We've done that with Seed, when Sean Garman left with people to go out to Ventura, California. We've done that with Hub City. You know, a couple weeks ago, we had a video by uh, Nathan Riley about, thank you, Red Sea, for your support of us down in Albany, uh, um, Oregon. And um, that video for that, that we have, we not only send them, help them financially, they've sent worship people up to help us out. Josh has gone down and preached. We have a relationship with them. So we are a church, we are partnering in churches, and we are being biblical, evangelical, evangelical, confessional, relational. We also want to be missional. We also want to connect with our churches being missional. What do I mean by that? First of all, to clear, our mission, our purpose is threefold. Draw to Christ, developing community, deploying to culture. I'm going through the diagram. Okay? Draw to Christ, developing community, deploying to culture. What I mean by this particular one is the emphasis on deploy to culture. We need other churches to help us to have an impact in St. John's in Portland. We need to work together. We cannot do a lot of the things that we'd like to do for the benefit of the community. We cannot do it on our own. So therefore, we don't. So, for example, we're partnering with an organization called All One. And we have a thing up here about All One. All One Community Services is a public 501c3. 
nonprofit whose main focus is working together with North, Port North Portland churches. Our vision is to exhort and mobilize the Church of North Portland in order to help them serve the community in a collaborative fashion. And then he also goes on. Their goal is to be a strategic partner working in the churches, which is really the church, Church Universal, to remind them of the mission of love, bless, and serve the community in which we reside. We have decided to partner with them because they can do things, we can do things together better with other churches. We might not agree with everything they say and do. That's okay. They allow us to share the gospel. That's the number one priority for us. But they also allow us to function in ways that helps us serve the community. On, on All One, Josh, again, is a busy guy. He's on the board of All One again, okay? He's an advisor. Help them stay. And part of the reason we want Josh, it's not that he needs something else to do, but one of the reasons we want him on that board is to make sure that the gospel is part of what they bring to St. John's and North Portland. They are the ones behind Community of Hope. And we obviously have a lot of... We have a lot of skin in the game with Community of Hope. We have allowed them and to use our building at no cost for 10 years. We've committed to them to use that facility for 10 years. We're behind them. We don't run Community of Hope. All one does. The churches together pool in to do that. We've had Compassion Connect, those medical clinics. We, again, could not do something like that well on our own. So we work with other churches to put on Compassion Connect. Other churches have the idea. They get the planning. We supply manpower, and we help and help and do that. We still have impact. In Vancouver, the, the uh, home community in Vancouver has worked with Young Lives, which is an uh, offshoot of Young Life. It's with uh, uh, young teenage girls with mothers. And there's other churches in Vancouver who uh, have this program. We didn't invent this. We didn't start this. But we're going to support it because it meets the needs in a specific people in Vancouver, and we can help them do that. My point being to be missional, um, we want to work together with other churches to get the things done that we couldn't do, especially in our community. So therefore, that's what I mean by uh, um, missional. Not only are we um, biblical and evangelical and confessional, uh, relational and missional, but also, lastly, we are global. We're global. Um, our goal is not to have this huge missions budget that we just keep writing a check and sending it to somebody we never met before overseas someplace doing who knows what. Our goal is to establish relationships with churches or organizations that are, have feet on the ground in places and where, this is important, our feet can go on their ground to serve them. And our, part of our criteria as we think through missions, and the missions in the sense of overseas global missions, is we want to establish relationships with organizations that not just send money, but actually allow us, enable us, actually encourage us to go overseas. So there, for example, with Joanne Fuller, over here, Joanne, okay, with Africa New Life, going to Rwanda. Some people have already gone over there. They will go over again. There's other opportunities. Dave and Carol Schlechter, right here. They are with Voice of Victory Ministries, correct? Tanzania is the focus, okay? They are planning a trip this summer, okay? So, and we're inviting you guys, us, to go to, with them. Not all of us, but whoever can. We want to send people there. Then also Jamie Duncan has gone with Sunrise Ministries to Uganda. So we happen to have Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda. All three of these are organizations that want us to send people. This is one reason why it's important that you come to the congregational meeting next week, because we're going to propose a change in our budget. The change in our budget is we don't, we don't want to be a church that just sends money. We want to be a church that sends people. 
So we want to budget money for sending you guys, us, not just you guys, us overseas. So we're putting a line item in our budget to put, set aside money that will accumulate that when somebody says, you know what, I want to go to Rwanda or Tanzania or Uganda, I just can't afford it. We want to say, we can help you. We will pay your way. Okay? If you commit to these ministries, we want your feet on ground with those churches and those communities. That's what we mean by being working with other churches, being global. And that's a big, that's a big part of it. So that's, what, that's a big investment for us. We are the church, and we are partnering in these churches because we're committed to being biblical, evangelical, confessional, missional, relational, and global. Those are the six. I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 2 for a second. And I want to, as uh, we head towards communion here, in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We could could readdress this letter, and it would be appropriate to the church of God in North Portland and Vancouver named Red Sea. It would be appropriate for us to do that. The truth of this scripture, of this letter, is still truth for us to learn about the gospel and how to live the church. But also there he says, to those sanctified in Christ, Jesus. Sanctified simply means set apart, to made holy. Notice that it's past tense. It's a done deal. It's already completed by Jesus. We have been sanctified. In theological terms, it's called definitive sanctification. That means it's been definitively decided it's done. And that's really important because what that means is in Christ and through faith in Christ, we are justified. We have forgiveness of sins. We are reconciled to God. And we are adopted as children of God. That's all true for us and all other gospel preaching churches. But he goes on and says something else. He says, and called to be saints. That's not past tense. Called to be saints. Called, commissioned, directed by God to live with our new identity as saints. To live in such a way that people say, hey, there's something different about these people. And the only plausible answer must be the gospel. It draws attention not to us for being perfect. It draws attention to us being not perfect, but actually demonstrating the truth that we live in step with the truth of the gospel. Called to be saints. Called, that's us, not just as individuals. He's writing this to a church. As a church, we are called to be and to live in a way that draws, brings identity to Christ. And, and, and it made me think of this this week as I, was, as I was thinking about this. What does it mean for us to be called to be saints and that we find this identity together? And I was reading through Ephesians again, and I saw Ephesians 2, and a verse that I've memorized and and. and uh, thought about a lot, but something really struck me again. Uh, I've noticed it before, but it really struck home to again. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 8 through 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved. You, plural. You all have been saved. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Amen. But the next verse, he changes his, his tone, his tense. He goes and he says, verse 10, For 
the pronoun is no longer you, but we. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. And, he, and Paul's saying to the, to the Ephesians what he said to the Corinthians. He's saying, yes, God did a unique work and you're saved by grace through faith. You guys don't get the boast. But the reason he did that is we all, as Christians, as churches, are God's workmanship. We all, not just in Corinth or Ephesus or Laodicea or St. John's or Vancouver, we all are called a work, 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 the work, workmanship of God and we're created for good works that he wants us to go in. So I want to conclude with reminding us that we are saints called to live in that way, not only with ourselves but with other churches. Every, every week we end our message pointing to communion as an as a overt act of trying to be gospel-centered. That we want to remember, no matter what we said, either as articulate or unarticulate we've been, we want to make sure we point to the, the death of Christ. Paul says he delivered over to us what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, was buried and was raised again in accordance with the Scripture. We celebrate that every Lord's Day, every week. So I just want to remind us of that. We as a church are celebrating communion today and hundreds and thousands, tens of thousands of churches all over the world are also celebrating the exact same thing. They might do it a little bit differently, but the meaning is the exact same meaning. We are spiritually united and bonded to them because it's the gospel that binds us. We're called to the same mission because it's God who's calling us to that mission. So as you go up and take, if you've responded to the gospel and repents in faith and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you in a few minutes to come and take communion. And I want you to do so remembering and giving thanks for what he's done for you in your heart and maybe your family, but also to understand that you are called on mission to be part of not just the church of Red Sea, but the church, uh, bigger, bigger church, both uh, CB Northwest and the global church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ and through faith in Christ we can approach you with freedom and confidence. We thank you, Lord, for all the different men and women through the ages who have studied your word and wrote things and preached sermons and wrote songs and, 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 and have done, gone places and, and shared and sacrificed their lives to spread the gospel. We are the fruit of that. May we also be a hub that the gospel just radiates to our, to our neighbors, to our families, to our schools, to our places of employment, that we can be that because you have called us to be saints where we are and to extend that, to extend your light to those around us. So we thank you for it. And we pray, Lord, as we move through this series, as we gain clarity what it means for us to do that, you would just empower us through the work of your spirit and in excitement for the power of the gospel to be the church you've called Red Sea to be. We thank you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.